I'd like to introduce to you a guy that I've actually gotten to know over the last several years, Brad Woodstrom. Brad is a professor over at Denver Seminary. He's head of the Youth and Family Department. I remember when he first came, I was actually part of uh, a group of students who, I think we interviewed you, didn't we? Asked you questions, things like that. And I just really like Brad. I've always liked him. And then one day, uh, he and his wife showed up here. I think, like the Crofts, they were probably dragged by their children, I think. I'm not sure. But I think the kids had something to do with it. And uh, we had an opening on the schedule in that uh, Joshua Peebles Dillon was supposed to be up tonight, but if you don't know what's going on with Joshua and Leanne, their bus is currently being worked on. They got to get a new bus. They're down in Arizona, so you can pray for them because they were supposed to be back by now. But uh, Brad agreed to come and fill in, and so I'm really excited about him being with us today. I really like him a lot. He's dug in, helped out with men's breakfasts, and he and his why Sandy opened up their home and our staff went over there for a Christmas party. We probably wouldn't have had a Christmas party if it hadn't been for them, and it was really kind of fun. So if you could please give a warm welcome to my friend Brad. Actually, Mike and I go back 11 years um, when we first came here to Denver, and he was in my small group at the, the seminary, and so I have stories that, um, what are they worth to you, Mike? And, and we've actually, I've bounced in and out of scum for about eight and a half years now, back to the toll gate, which I think was your pad over there. And uh, my first time at scum, um, sitting there very uh, excitedly and, and soaking it in, and all of a sudden, during Mike's message, this guy stands up in the second row, turns around, and starts vehemently cussing out everybody there because somebody had turned him in for dealing. And then he walked out. Nobody was even phased. And I thought, I like this place. <laughs> and the only, the only person that watched him walk out was the dog that was sitting right behind him, just <laughs> turned and walked. And so... Um, we are, I feel like I should, I'm, I'm here at a 10-step um, program and that I should say, hi, my name is Brad and I'm a recovering suburbanaholic. Um, yeah, hi, thank you. We, we've been here now about nine months and it has been just a, a marvelous shift in experience for us. So I'm excited to be able to be standing here today. And we're going to start by just um, kind of kicking back to last week, and that my, I, I hope this technology works. This is one of those reasons why I'm a recovering suburbanaholic. I've still got a little bit of this tech piece to me, so if I get too polished, just yell at me and say, scum eyes, or something like that. But um, <laughs> last week, Mike was talking about... Um, Jesus, and he used the imagery of a rock star. And I thought, what a great way to start leading into Mark 4, where we're going today, and looking at that idea of 
what was now going on in the life of Christ, going on at that point in time in terms of his disciples and the shift and change from obscurity to all of a sudden as the multitudes were coming to gather around him. So getting that kind of a thought going, I thought let's build this image, and I am going to be using the screen a little bit. So here you've got, now obviously, what a, a better reaction than this morning. It was kind of like, any more bacon? Um, <laughs> but coming off of Michael Jackson's death, um, obviously that was much in the news going on. But here we've got the king of pop. You've got the king of pop, and I'm from northern Illinois. And so when we think of, North, of where Michael Jackson was born, anybody from Gary, Indiana? It is truly one of the armpits of the world. And so Michael Jackson's home, coming from obscurity to when then, as a young boy, um, they then started to get this little bit of a, a buzz going, and they moved to Los Angeles and signed with Motown. And all of a sudden, you started to get where the fame began to grow. His name and his fame began to spread, and people all of a sudden began to want a piece of him. They started to gather around, and they, they started to want to be a part of the band. They started to want to see what they could get from him. We even saw that in his last days, those people that just wanted him more for what they could get from him than him himself. And then as it grew and the, the fame continued to grow, it got to where he needed bodyguards, as the people would press in on him and, and want to even just touch him and touch the glove and get closer and closer. And then you had where the multitudes came. And this is a, a scene actually from one of the um, concert venues where you had the, the tens of thousands that were a part of that. And the people that came, and, and there was just a multitude of different types of people, those that might have been just for lack of a better term, drifters that drifted in and out and came to see what they could get and to be a part, and those that might be called detractors. You're hearing some of my suburban carry over here, so bear with me, the triple D here. Those that were detractors trying to knock him down, trying to perhaps take his place up on that podium and trying to get where he was, and those then that were the true disciples, though that might, those that might have even said, he changed my life, that were coming around. And so when you think about it, getting into this point in the story in Mark chapter 4, which we will put up on the screen, you have this going on with Jesus. You have Jesus who was born in this obscure town. In fact, it was said at one point in time of him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's from the armpit of Palestine. And then you get this buzz that starts to happen, which really began to ferment and take off at the time of his baptism. When he shows up and John the Baptist has been talking about this one who's coming, who I will not even be worthy to bend over and to loosen his chacos. And all of a sudden there comes Jesus and he comes out of the water and the dove, you can barely make out the dove, the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him and you hear the voice of the father from heaven saying this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and then it just starts building from there he goes into the the synagogue and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he claims to be the one who's coming in power in the power of the Holy Spirit he's the one that's coming 
that will, um, I've got to find my place here. He's the one that's coming, anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the captives, bring sight to the blind, release the oppressed. And then leading up, as we've been going through the book of Mark, and seeing the things happening in his life, you see he's in the synagogue, and these are actual quotes coming from Mark, and they looked at him and said, he taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. He casts out a demon who says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The people began to say that Jesus was bringing a new teaching and with authority. It says news spread about him rapidly. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching, healing, casting out demons. Crowds began to grow. His fame began to spread. It says people came from all over the region, other countries, and they would have been walking not scootering it like spirit, where spirit in terms of his um, scootery parks out in front and not on the light rail like David, could no longer enter town freely. He healed so many with diseases that they were pushing forward to touch him. You've got this picture now of the king, not of pop, but the king of glory, who now as the multitudes are now coming like they were to Michael Jackson, and this is where we're picking up the story, but thinking about this, it, it just reminds me almost of a Five Iron Frenzy concert, <laughs> and, and thinking as well, and I did see Reese walk in somewhere, if this doesn't look like Jesus, I don't know what does. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what you can find on Google Images? Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> his fame will forever haunt him. But where we're going today, we're looking at the parable of the sower. This is the one where there's the four soils. We're not going to spend a lot of time setting it up. We want to get more into the application piece because there are two applications. There's two lessons that come out, one to every one of us in here, myself included. Then there's another lesson that I think really comes to those who are in leadership those who are the ones who are spending the time, the energy, and perhaps getting a little frustrated with what's going on. But so, for lack of a better title, calling it Lessons from the Garden, because we see that imagery here as Jesus speaking a parable from the garden. So putting up the text, starting in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And we aren't reading all the way through 20 here. This is, we will eventually... But you've got Jesus had around him the same group. He had those, d- d- those drifters in and out, in and out. He had those detractors, and he had those disciples. And we see all four of those show up in this parable of the soil. So what we've got going on here is the account where Jesus is standing on the seashore. Let's read it. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large. You've got that image of that Michael Jackson concert It's so large, they're pressing in on him that, as it says here, he got into a boat and pushed out a little way from the shore, and you had the crowd kind of on this natural amphitheater there, and Jesus in the boat looking at them, beginning to teach. He taught them many things by parables, using stories, one of his favorite ways to teach Parables, stories that were memorable, stories that people could grab onto, stories that had this 
common everyday theme, but which then pointed to something farther, something beyond, in this case, something that was spiritual, supernatural, as we call parables sometimes, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And so that's what's going on as Jesus chose to speak to the people in a parable. It says in his teaching, he said, listen. He said, stop. He said, time out. He said, shut up. He said, I have got something I want you to hear. And you can picture, you know, kind of like on the golf course. I, I hate watching golf. In fact, one of my favorite cartoons is um, this guy sitting in a dentist chair. And the dentist is there looking at him. And he says, would you like anesthesia or to watch golf on TV? But he says, listen, kind of like on the golf course, they hold up that thing and the crowd gets quiet. And so they get quiet and Jesus, perhaps we don't know for sure, looks and sees in the distance a sower, somebody who is spreading seed as they did in that day. They didn't ride their John Deere's like our Oklahoma brother here knows all about the John Deere's, I'm sure. But they would go out and they would just, they would say broadcast. They would spread it far and wide. And so Jesus may have seen a sower. At the very least, everyone there understood what a sower was. And he then goes into this and says, look, the sower, the sower went out to sow his seed. And again, he wasn't as concerned saying, I'm going to give you a lesson in farming. And in fact, I really am not one to give you a lesson in farming. My wife and my family can tell you I'm not very good with plants and my only success with a plant was when I was in college. I had a rubber plant that I named Trojan, and it grew pretty good. It was pretty sweet. My mom killed it one summer when I was home. She never knew the <laughs> Christina saying, you've got to be kidding me. It's true. True story. True story, which is kind of interesting because I went to a school called Trinity College, and we were the Trojans, and so some people thought I was just, you know, the mascot. No, wasn't the case. Um, so I'm not a good one to teach you about farming, but this parable is, but the parable is about more. It's about that idea of as the, the sower spread the seed, it fell on different kinds of soil. It it's fell on the, the, the hard soil where it landed and it couldn't get in, and the birds came. As you can read here, it says he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up because the path was hard. The seed couldn't penetrate. It couldn't get in. And so the birds just came and picked it up and flew, it away, flew away with it. Some fell on rocky places where there was this thin layer of soil on top of the rock. And so the roots would start to go down and they didn't get very far before the heat would come and would bake it and dry it out and the water would come and would just wash it away because there was no way for the roots to go deep. And it says that it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Come on, baby, switch. Other seed fell among the thorns. And so here you had the soil where the farmer had not done a good job to get all the, all the weeds out. And so instead of spending that time and that energy and working hard and getting the weeds out, they were still there below the surface. And so as the plants started to grow up, the weeds caught up and would just choke it and strangle it and, and kill it. And it says, still other fell on the good soil. Yay, good soil. It came up, grew, and produced crop, multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. Then Jesus said, did you hear it? Are you listening? He says, do you have those spiritual ears to hear what I'm saying to you? 
Do you understand what I'm trying to bring across? When he was alone, it's important to note that Jesus, after he told that parable, was stop. I don't know if he went to run the merch table. I don't know if he went fishing or water skiing, but he stopped at that point in time. This happens later. So you've got this multitude that's hearing the parable, and Jesus did not interpret it to them. He allowed them, hopefully through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or through the sensitivity of their heart being open to the message, to hear it, to take it in, to understand it, and say, the gee, which one of them soils am I? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But later, and I went too far ahead there, later when he was alone, the 12 came to him and said, Jesus, we don't get it. What are you saying? We don't understand it. And here you've got the disciples that had been walking with Jesus, had been seeing all this stuff going on. There's a mixture of emotions that they're going through, seeing the crowds. It'd be like Mike and Kimberly and the Jessies and Ben and the crew here saying, wow, look at all the people coming. Isn't this exciting? But then that frustration of we've got all these people coming, but where's the fruit? What's going on? Our lives being changed. We really don't know. Yes, here. Oh, but no. Oh, we thought there was fruit, but what happened? They wilted. The disciples are seeing that. and They're saying, help us understand this Jesus. So he then goes in to say, let me interpret this for you. One of only two parables in the entire text of Scripture that he interprets for them out of all the parables he told. And he says a weird thing here, kind of a scary thing, kind of one of those things you say, oh, Jesus, this sounds like the Masons. There's secret information here. When I get to be a 32nd degree, then we'll understand it. We're not going to spend a lot of time here on this because I want to get on into, like I said, the application piece. But there's an irony with which he's saying this. Jesus is not here speaking saying, I am intentionally trying to pull the wool over their eyes. I don't want them to understand it. He goes and takes this text here, which is in quotes, they may ever be seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That comes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And if you've never read Isaiah 6, great passage, the call of Isaiah. You've got where... God comes and calls Isaiah, and he says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then God says, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. And he says, go tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. You see the text here coming out of Isaiah. And in this text, it's the same thing. It was an irony. It was God saying, go tell these people. They've already made their choice. They've hardened their heart. It's not something I'm doing to them. This is something they've chosen for themselves. Because in this same chapter in Isaiah, it goes on where God says there will be a remnant. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm hardening their hearts. Ain't nobody going to come to me. Yeah, I'm going to sit and watch them fry. This will be fun. He says, no, go and tell them. Tell them, you know what? You've done this to yourself. Wake up. Wake up, there will be a remnant. Will you be among them? And so Jesus, as he's pulling this in his parable, is saying the same thing. He's saying, disciples, look at these multitudes here. They're not all going to make that decision to follow me. They're not all going to choose to give up those things that are gripping so tightly to them. 
they're not all going to whatever term you might want to use, Christ follower or Christian or born from above or Jesus person, whatever. They're not all going to do that. Some of them are going to be these ones that are going to hear and not listen. Jesus then goes on to say, let me interpret this for you. And instead of interpreting for you, I'm gonna, we, we found this archive from uh, Jesus' home videos. And so we're going to let Jesus interpret for us.
Okay, I'm hurt. You laughed at me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that was good. So I tell people I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing alongside of you. Um, that actually, that's from the movie Godspell. And my wife and I, that was our second date. Back, you know, when it was on uh, those big reels that went... Um, and here we go. We'll, we'll, we'll date this. Um, how many of you ever watched Alias? Okay, a few of you. Jack Bristow? Jesus was Jack Bristow. That's Victor Garber. And the African-American gal, now I'll date you all. That's the chief from where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. Uh-huh. Yeah, see? Okay. I knew I could connect somehow. I'm not going to sing it for you. But you see the, the, the interpretation coming in obviously a semi-cheesy way, but uh, getting across that idea of, yes, those were individuals. The soil is, is the heart. And if I can find my place here, I should have had this in my hands. Listen, okay, Jesus stopped here, the mystery, okay. Jesus said this. Okay, I think we're there almost, Okay. Um, yes, Jesus said to them, and I'm not going to read this because Jesus from his home videos, maybe it's Peter's home videos, um, interpreted what was going on there, that, that the four soils are four types of heart, four types of individual. And so the first lesson that comes out of this is for us all to try and figure out where do we fit into this? And I don't expect you to go out there and lay on your back and go, oi, but where do you fit into this? Which one of those soils is you? As if Jesus told this parable, and as he talked about the idea, it wasn't a baby that was being sown. It was the word of God. It was the truth of Jesus Christ. It's being sown every Sunday here at Scum. It's being sown in every church across the world if it be across the radio, if it be sitting in a coffee shop like St. Mark's, if it be sitting in, in um, a Bible study, the word of God is going out. It's being spread. And where it lands on each one of you, you are one of those kinds of soil. Now, before you get too excited about yourself, you have to remember that out of these types of soil, there's only one that is what God would want for us to be. That's the fourth soil. The first three are different versions of the seed not being planted, of people not responding to the word when it comes to them. It's trying to come up with some ideas of, of how to maybe uh, exemplify the first soil, the hard soil, call it maybe the hard heart. Um, this morning, Mike threw out the name of a hardcore atheist. That might be a person who is hardened to the gospel when it comes to them. But don't sit and say, I'm not a hardcore atheist, so yay, that's not me. What about that person who's been burned by the church? Maybe harden their heart. Maybe you're one of those people that's been pooped on by life. Something's happened that has just hardened you to, uh, there can't be a God if this really happens. 
They've shut down their trust in almost anything. Maybe it's because of sexual abuse or emotional abuse. And so this wall has gone up. Maybe it's somebody that's been socialized into a culture of disbelief. Maybe it's, as my daughters have both been to Eastern Europe and have ministered among the post-communist adolescents in Eastern Europe. And there's this culture that has trained them that God is just a narcotic. God is something that is not for the person who has intelligence. There's been this peace that they've been hardened to the gospel and trying to break through that hard soil is very difficult. Maybe you're a hardcore individualist and all I need is me. I don't need anything outside of myself. It's just a crutch. Maybe you're addicted to uh, and dependent on reality-altering substances of some kind. Maybe you're stuck in the occult, messing around with those types of things. It's building this wall where that seed is going to land and it's going to get carried away. The birds, Jesus says, Satan will come and will carry it away, which he loves to do. Maybe, like Mike was talking about last week, you've committed that unforgivable sin, and you need somehow to have that soil of your heart softened. Is there hope? Praise be to God, there is, but probably not without pain, if you're that person or you know those people. Take a powerful moving of the Holy Spirit to just dig down deep and till that soil of your heart. Maybe you're the second heart, that rocky soil, or can we call it a shallow heart? The one who hears and responds but doesn't take the next steps of growth towards maturity. You have opportunities presented for you here, even at SCUM, to help dig those roots down deep, to grow towards maturity. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to grow in him, rooted and built up. It's not enough to punch that ticket that says, yea, thee verily, I now have my ticket punched on that salvation glory train to heaven. If you don't start digging those roots down deep, there's going to be things that could come in life, those winds, Can you tell I did children's ministry? Made great noises. The winds and the rains that come, those tough times of life, and if you haven't sunk those roots down, it's going to be awful difficult to not allow that little seedling of that spiritual life to get blistered by the heat or to get washed away. Maybe you're the emotional hearer who joyfully accepts God's word but doesn't understand or doesn't want to pay the cost. There's a cost to growing in Christ. That's why we talk about Christ as Savior and, what's the next word? Starts with an L. Lord. There's a lordship aspect that is required. Paul writes, we need to go from the milk of the word and on into the meat. We can't be that shallow heart. Had a conversation years ago with a, a Mormon elder who had come to faith and was in our church out in Washington. He told me that the Mormon church, and this is just an example, prays, not A-Y-E-Y, prays on, and he used the term, those nominal Baptists, but that idea of those who have not sunk their roots in and that have this little sense of the idea of a faith, the idea of something bigger than them, but have not sunk their roots deep 
into the word of God and a Jesus Christ. Is there hope? Praise be to God. Yes, there is. The weak, spindly little snap, snapling, like snapple. Sapling needs to be nurtured, guarded, maybe tied to the scaffolding like you do with a plant of a stronger plant around you, which would be those around you in the household of faith, given food and watered. Maybe you're that third soil, the weedy, the thorny soil. Call it the crowded heart. Somebody who does not truly repent. Somebody who the seed falls, the seed starts to grow, but you've not understood the idea of that term repentance. Repentance, the idea of that 180-degree turn. I'm walking towards John. I repent of John. Oh, yea, thee verily, I'm repenting of John. And I turn and I go the opposite direction. And I leave behind those things that were a part of that old life those things that will creep in and will grab that little seedling and will strangle it and will choke it and will pull me back down. Maybe it's, and I'll list the biggies first, those things like drugs and alcohol, pornography, greed, lust, gossip, worldviews that compete with the kingdom worldview. Maybe you say, I don't have those things. Yea, they verily, I'm a good little Christian boy or girl. But what are the things that perhaps might be in your life? And I feel bad. I'm not looking at you guys down here. Now I'm going to start pointing to you. What is it in your life, brother? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's something that I've had seminary students that if I was to point at what their issue is that's keeping them from growing deeper, it's addiction to video games. Oh, don't step on my toes. What is it? that is there that gets in between you and Jesus Christ and what's he, what he wants of your life. What is that thing in your life? Maybe, oh no, it couldn't be NFL football, could it? It couldn't be my addiction to Starbucks, could it? One of my best friends out in Washington, his mom, literally the reason why she refused to make a faith commitment is because the senior pastor I worked with had a problem with eating, and she looked at his gluttony, or she would have called it that, and said, there's an issue going on here in this guy's life, and he'll be up there preaching about homosexuality or something else, but what about him? What is it, I don't know, that might be in your life if you're that third type of soil? Hanging with the old posse. Um, I take one of my classes out to a juvenile detention facility every year. It's out by Dove Valley Marvin W. Foote Youth Services Center, and we were there just this last Tuesday. And it strikes me every year, I never never cease to be amazed, as the kids, we, we then get to sit with a um, panel of currently incarcerated adolescents, and as they share their story, how many of them share that story that this is the third, fourth, fifth time that they've been in and out of being um, committed, the term is committed. There's pre-adjudicated and committed. And what happens is they get in there and they tell this great story. Life is changing, but what happens when they leave? Where do they go back to? And one of the guys that was sitting in front of us was telling that what he was going back to was his family where his mom was in the gang, his dad was in the gang, his cousin was in the gang, his brother's in the gang. What kind of a chance does he have? 
if he does not turn that corner and say, you know what, there is a faith family that I have to become a part of, that even as last week Mike was talking about, that as Jesus said, who are my mothers and my, who is my mother and my brothers? It's those of the household of faith that can help me as I sink those roots deep. One gal three years ago, 18-year-old, little white girl from Cherry Creek High School. The reason she got was sitting in there is she got into cocaine with her lawyer dad who got her started, and they would do coke together. Is it that group that you hang with that, that you need to say, how do I turn this corner? How do I repent of John, who's the one that pulls me to? Hey, I was checking. You've got some set of harmonicas up there. You are, you, are the, you are the professional harmonica man. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Need a little Bob Dylan thing, though, around your neck, though. You probably sing much better than him. Oh, no, somebody's going to get me after. But is there hope of that crowded heart? Praise be to God. Yes, there is. Those weeds that grow up and begin strangling the growing plant must be pulled, thrown in a pile, and burned probably will take someone coming alongside you, or if you see that in someone else, you coming alongside them and helping them make that shift. Again, be ready for pain. It's not easy when the weeds are pulled and the shifts made, but hopefully you are that fourth heart. You are that, f- that fruitful heart. You are that one where the seed has landed You've been fertilized, there's deep soil, you're growing up strong, producing fruit. But the one caution I do want to give, which is a healthy caution, it's easy, and this parable tells us, to think that, oh, we all have to look alike. But Jesus said there's going to be 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So just because you're not producing the same fruit as somebody else doesn't mean you have to say, oh, woe is me. Be that fourth, oh, just fine. Be that fourth heart that's allowing the roots to go deep and to grow up strong. I'm adding a fifth one, which I call the shifting heart. Call it the fickle soil. Because I know there's people that are in here, and we've all been a part of this, that have been that fourth soil, and then for whatever reason, use whatever term you want, we slip away, we fall away. We turn our back and we walk away. Does that mean we cannot go back to being that fourth heart, that fourth soil? No, it doesn't. But it's not going to happen without you taking energy and effort and following through and saying, I need to shift. I've slid back. It's getting a little thorny here. The weeds are growing up. What am I going to do about it? You can turn that corner. And Christ is waiting and saying, I want you to come back. If you've walked away, he wants you back. He's passionate to have you back, but the choice is yours. And he's not going to continue to chase. He will chase. It's been called the hound of heaven. But there comes a point in time the hound says, okay, you know what? If you want to go that way, like the irony that was being spoken in Isaiah and by Jesus, if that's the way you're going, I can't change your heart. So two final lessons coming out of this that I want to leave with you, and Mike is going to come back up. The first is that interpretation, that typical one coming to all of us. Who are we? Which heart are we? But the second one I do want to leave with those of you that are in leadership. 
the disciples were probably cotton-picking, stinking, discouraged there, looking at all those multitudes, and so many of them would not follow to the end. The man who came at midnight and said, what do I have to be do, to do to be saved? And Jesus, sell all, you have, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he turned and walked away. The discouragement there. But what is in the end of this parable? What does it say? And I've got to find it here. Others, like seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100-fold. God brings the harvest, and there will be a harvest. You may get discouraged. You may look around. You may say, oh, look at all of this, all these people. And now when Mike's, books, Mike's book comes out, I guarantee there's going to be another influx of soil coming. And much of it will probably fall away, and the discouragement will come. But there will be a harvest. It is promised. It is God that brings it. You may not see it. You may not sense it. You may say, woe is me. But look back to this parable. Look to Christ himself promising that that harvest will come. I'm going to end by just reading Although part of the seed never grew, the fact remained that at the end of the day, there was a splendid harvest. This is the parable to end despair. It may seem that much of our effort achieves no result. It may seem that much of our labor is wasted. That is how the disciples were feeling when they saw Jesus banished from the synagogue, regarded with suspicion. In many places, his message seemed to have failed, and they were discouraged and downhearted. But this parable said to them and says to us, Patience, do your work, sow the seed, leave the rest to God. The harvest is sure. Mike? As Mike's coming up, let me just pray for you. Come on. Father God, I just thank you so much that through your son, Jesus Christ, um, we see and hear encouragement as well as challenge. And Father, as we have um, in this parable seen the challenge that comes for us to consider who we are and how we're accepting that seed and what we're doing with it, and Father, as well, as um, we as leaders sometimes get discouraged, we just pray, Father, that um, uh, we will remain encouraged knowing that through your Holy Spirit there will be a harvest May we be faithful unto the end. And we pray in your son's name. Amen.